Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Big Board on the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. My name is Spenneth Penneth, and I'm joined by none other than Jacob, the Irishman, Luke. How are we feeling? Oh, top of the morning. Uh, yeah, feeling okay. A um, little bit, a little bit weird though. I'm kind of knocked off my spot here. Uh, my computer decided to crap out uh, right before we started recording the Beat Town Big Board, which I, you know, of course, is one of the more produced shows of the year that we do. So I, I have to lose not only my recording equipment and my editing equipment, but pretty much all my notes in the process as well. So we're here. We're doing defensive line. I'm on my phone. That's why the quality is crappy tonight. Just getting ahead of the story. It happens. I think you sound quite all right. You look nice. It's a Monday. It's warm out as we're recording. A wonderful Monday start to the week. You're listening to this on Tuesday, March 22nd, as we continue on our journey of trying to find the perfect prospect for the Baltimore Ravens, ideally at the the 14th pick there, or, or just with their first round pick. So we've already started with the edge rushers. Now we continue to their bigger more hungry brothers, the defensive linemen kicking a little bit inside. So a little bit of a strange class here. There's a couple borderline or a couple guys that have gotten a ton of reverence and a ton of attention, uh, particularly the the two gentlemen out of Georgia that we'll get to. And some interesting characters sprinkled throughout this draft class. A lot of nose tackles, I'll say overall, is a, the first thing. Just a lot of, of capable nose tackles. The Ravens have signed Michael Pierce, uh, who will presumably be their kind of go-to zero one tech for the 2022-23 season. Uh, feels that way at least, but you know, they have had Jelly Ellis rotating and, and you do need a second guy there, but a couple different bodies overall, not as many of the kind of tweener three through five tech guys as we've had maybe in the, in years past, but a couple, a couple big fellas that can rock and roll. So with that, I guess we can just hustle on into it. And start talking about the Georgia fellas. The first two, Jordan Davis, hailing out of Georgia, a six foot six, nearly and a half, 341 pound defensive tackle aligned primarily at the nose tech, uh, played in each of the last four seasons for the Georgia Bulldogs. Obviously, lights the combine on fire. He's a six foot nine inch wingspan, one of the biggest in recent history. Blew the combine up with a 478 40 time. 
vertical 32 inches broad jump 10 three and posted the second best relative athletic score pound for pound in the history of the combine according to kentley platt math bomb who does the relative athletic scores trying to weigh size by athleticism absolutely burn the combine down a guy who had some heisman hype at one point throughout the process and really just showed some dominant star-studded moments throughout georgia's national championship run this past season so jakey boy the big fella the godzilla in the middle as i like to call him what are your what are your initial thoughts on on big fella jordan davis yeah, just a true uh, primo position stud, as I like to say. This guy plays the most valuable position. No, I'm just kidding. He uh, he's he's a beast, man. He's a load. He's a black hole in the run game. Is kind of the uh, the terminology that I kept coming back to when I watched him a little bit. And basically, it's like it's one of those things where, and I'm pretty open about the fact that like I don't know as much as like you or Cole, who we were supposed to have on tonight too, about like the trench play. But you know, I, I think a lot of people don't, and I think what they can default to when they watch a guy like this is you just immediately get it. You get why this guy should be a top 15, top 10 potential type pick with the size, with the speed, explosiveness, first step off the line. Got a little bit more bend than I expected when I watched him too. The problem is, and this is the problem that I think a lot of Ravens fans have already talked about that they have with him, is that he's less of a penetrator in the pass rush. And it is much more that kind of stout run game type guy that just eats up double teams and makes life easier on inside linebackers, which is great in its own right. But you do kind of question where the value is in that. And for me, it does come down to, I absolutely love him as a player, all things being equal. But as far as the role that I think he might play in Baltimore, it does kind of feel like I might prefer somebody else in there along that line. And it could be a situation where he goes to a defensive line that has penetrators around him that allows him to play the correct role. And he's just an absolute stud. But as for me, I think I'm probably good at pick 14, given some of the other needs that they have. But uh, man, what a what a fun player to watch. Certainly. So the first thing that is tough with Teams like Bama and Georgia, I guess maybe Clemson at times. There's you know a couple SEC schools at times is that when they're so loaded that we talked about it last episode, a guy like Jermaine Johnson, who the lowest grade I've seen on him is like in the 40s, ends up having to transfer as someone who is productive. It just goes to show how, how they can kind of hyper-focus a player in a role and ask them to be really dominant athletically and really hyper-focused on one job, one responsibility, one role within that defense. And then from there, it's hard to start trying to pick apart and say, you know, who benefited from whom, uh, ultimately which players would be a foundational piece in a, you know, in a defense picking, you know, you're drafting someone high in the draft. Who's going to be a foundational piece? Who was the one that was really opening things up for the other guys? How much of it was just the fact that they were so loaded at that level? Conversations in that sense. And it's been tough. You know, Trayvon Walker, we also talked about last week, a guy that also blew up the combine, runs 451 at 275 pounds. Why do you not see get off a lot with him as a, as a pass rusher? So to me, Jordan Davis his combine, everything that you see, the way that he kind of back when he's lined up at the zero, the way that he loads his weight to kind of rise with his hands and maintain and, and trying to uh, focus on his pad level. He is six, six, really almost six, seven, really, really, really tall dude um, with long arms, but seeing him just trying to control, be able to stack peak and then go, you know, manipulate his blocker, control his gap, do some of those things. So I think the first question is, can you get other things out of him? Can you line him up at the three tech 
and ask him to shoot out of his stance, use his length, use some of his quickness, some of those things. Another thing that I think, you know, you, you did touch on a little bit, Georgia did, Georgia likes to rush four. Kirby smart likes to rush four. some, a lot of times rush three. And we saw him looping to play contain. Sometimes they also would use Jalen Carter is a really good nose tackle. Be in next year's class, Devonte Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, use them as kind of these contain or spy type players at times as well. But I think you can see the movement as opposed to some of the other guys in this class, like maybe a Travis Jones or, or some of these other guys where you can imagine slanting them and using them on TE stunts and things of that nature and how big he is, how well he can move, how well he can control himself and the length that he has to keep himself clean. I think it's, it's trying to translate it into another role, asking him to do a few more things. Um, and I, I think he can do those things. It's again, it's just, you know, the conversation I've had before about Daniel Falele draft aliens and prosper. And, and there's really no bigger alien in this class than Jordan Davis. And I do think he can be a foundational piece, especially for a team. Where is the positional value, the way the rules are in the NFL, blah, 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 those things. When you want to run more too high, when you want to run a Staley or a Fangio defense, you need someone who is going to be able to, especially on first down, dictate that A gap, B gap, and be able to control it. So that way you feel like you're able to hold up against the run in a lighter box. So if your goal is to play more nickel and more dime against, you know, teams that can throw the ball really well against the Rams of the NFL or the Bengals or whoever it is that likes to run lighter personnel, then you better have someone who can win and make sure that you're safe, allowing, you know, the players around them, the safeties and the linebackers to feel more free. And Davis is going to do exactly those things, but it's just really hard to imagine that someone who wasn't asked to rush the passer a ton but has those measurables, that athleticism and and just overall presence about him can't grow in that role a little bit. So it, it's tough. And trying to compare him to some recent, uh, recently really high picked interior defensive lineman. While the only one here that I can really think of that's a nose is Derek Brown, who quietly has been off to a nice start to his professional career. Um, Quinn and Williams, another one. And trying to think of who else lately. I don't know that there's been a ton in the last couple of years, but you just see the way he's able to move, the way he's able to be rare and flush quarterbacks out of the pocket and then hunt. And to your point, and I think to that point, like you mentioned, like the QB, like the peels and the QB spies, like he was getting him and Wyatt too were given fits to Bryce Young of all people, like coming off the line, which is like, that's one of the slipper. Like you can think what you want about Bryce Young as like a pro prospect. I guess we'll have that conversation at some point, but that dude is slippery as shit. And they were, they were sticking with him. And I mean, for a guy that size, that is really impressive. Right. So being able to force a quarterback to take a bad angle and get them out of being throw ready with the ability to pursue. And and we can bridge this conversation to Devante Wyatt, who does it even better. A lot of times is, is valuable to, to make a quarterback uncomfortable moving out of the pocket. And they can't just kind of Oh, okay. Well, I can just roll out a little bit. Then I'll be able to square my shoulders to my target, reapproach the line of scrimmage. Instead, they have to really be on the run, continuing to attack the sideline. But, but overall, to me, just I have a very high grade on him. I see him as a player that is foundational in your defense. Is someone that has to be game planned for from a you know the week of from an offensive coordinator's perspective. He can take over games. And again, the the ability to slant and stunt and do some of those things, 
is how you create more pass rushing capabilities and more just more effectiveness as a pass rusher like a Vita Vey. Vita Vey can stunt around the outside or he can slant inside and crash and blow through an area. And just, I mean, knowing what you see on tape and then knowing the way that he tested, the fact that he can jump 32 inches at 340 pounds, you're going to be able to get explosive reps out of him as a pass rusher. So really the only other conversation to have is that he didn't play a ton of snaps. But again, I don't think it's that difficult of a conversation. Look at Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson goes and plays 60 snaps a game at Florida State. When you're Georgia, why are you going to you know not rotate guys in? They have another nose tackle that's really good, Jalen Carter. A little bit smaller, a little bit thinner, probably ultimately has a higher, I wouldn't say pass rush upside, but is was more ready to rush the passer, um, a little more nimble. So why are you not going to use all of your five stars when you have them? When you've got five, six guys along a defensive front that are five stars that you like, that you trust, why not deploy all of them ultimately? And then, and then moving into Devontae Wyatt, who I, I've seen some comps on him. Another guy who blew up the combine, a little over 300 pounds. Had one of the better combine performances all time as well. Wyatt, I guess we can I can read on him a little bit, is 6'2", almost 6'3", 6'2", and 7'8", 304 pounds, almost 10-inch hands, arm length, uh, 32 and 5'8". He has the wingspan of 6'6", six six, ran a 4.77, jump 29, broad jump of 9'3", all really impressive as well. Um, another four-year player at at Georgia, pardon me, and is someone that, you know, has, has continued to be consistent. He, uh, you know, played 400 snaps in 2019, 400 snaps in 2020, 400 snaps in 2021, over 200 and had at least 226 pass rushing snaps at all times lines up a lot more in the B gap for them. Um, finished with, you know, uh, you know, had four sacks in 2021, one in 2019 and, uh, had 33 hurries, 12 hurries, 17 hurries. So someone that consistently gets pressure, and a little bit more of the lightning aspect, someone who can win in the run game in single blocks and he's athletic and quick enough off the line to be able to disrupt, you know, zone flow and win across the face. Um, he typically wins with more quickness and kind of uh, lateral ability and doesn't have that, that huge anchor against double teams. And uh, the only way he beats those is by splitting them a little bit more so than just standing up to them and, and kind of halting them but he comes off the ball super quick. It feels like counters really well. We saw it in mobile. We've seen it time and time again, can just be laterally quick and violent with hand placement and lifts and swipes and turn a stalemate into a win. Um, and is someone that can ultimately flush a quarterback out force them to take a hard angle and then chase them down and catch them from behind a little bit, uh, especially quarterbacks that are not, you know, a Josh Allen, or someone like that, but will still force them to have to banana and really push it out of the pocket and going to create a tough throw really for anyone. That's not like Patrick Mahomes that can just like flip the ball out. Um, it feels like he, he does a good job of cornering and able to keep his momentum low, his shoulders low, his pad level low and drop his weight, really good flexibility. Um, and he's a three tech a little bit more. So played over the B gap predominantly and Really good player. I see him as a potential like all pro player. I see him as like a more polished Larry Ogunjobi um, is, is a comp I've seen a little bit that I like. Someone who is going to dominantly overwhelm offensive linemen with quickness, athleticism, and and plan and hand usage time and time again. I, I think he's going to be a pro bowl caliber player for sure. What have you seen out of the other Georgia stud? 
Yeah, I mean, everything you mentioned and like the one thing that like stood out to me as very unique is a man, he's a man of size. He's not as big as Davis, but he's pretty freaking big. And he just has this ability to make himself small on tape. Like there were plays that he would make that I wouldn't even notice him in the play necessarily. And then he would just kind of come out of nowhere because he was just like slipping through a guy or slipping through a gap with great bend and kind of getting himself low to the ground. So yeah, fun to watch plays low ton of power off his first step. And yeah, fast, like you mentioned, and just seems to have a good understanding and good body control in a way that a guy of that height and kind of build you would hope for. And yeah, he's a guy who I think we had this conversation already a little bit. Um, he's a guy who I might value over Jordan Davis, even if I think Jordan Davis is a better player because of that juice in the pass rush that he would bring to you right off the bat. Um, I think he's a little bit more, I don't know if I'd say polished in that category, but certainly more experienced. And um, yeah, just another guy who I'm going to keep saying fun to watch with these guys, but they just really, really are. They kind of both, you know, even Davis to an extent, they represent what the modern sort of freak athlete along the defensive line can really look like. And uh, Kirby Smart knows how to pick them, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, you got all that, but is he going to be in play for the Ravens at 14 with his incident that we talked about where he kicked in a door after some sort of domestic dispute uh, on campus when he was, I think, a freshman or something like that. Um, but that's going to be tough with this class, man. There's a couple guys like that that are really, really talented that have some of these incidents. I think of um, maybe we'll talk about Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma. He's got one. Michael Clemens, Texas A&M has an incident like that as well. There's a couple different guys that they're going to have some tough decisions to probably make on here. And he's certainly represents one of them at number 14 who they might you know, well be facing the decision whether to pick or not. So you've got that incident uh, and that's maybe the only sort of weakness, so to speak on, uh, on the, um, on the report card here, but uh, yeah, otherwise that a pretty, pretty damn good prospect to consider in the first round. Yeah. A, a, a weird situation. It seemed like um, whatever, you know, we can't speak to it. Don't want to speak to his character because we don't know, but the Ravens tend to avoid that D word in any way, shape or form. So I don't know. It feels like there's a non-zero chance he's off their board. But to me as a player, what he does on the field is first round quality. I have a first round grade on him. I think the thing that he does best as a pass rusher is never give a full man. He is able to come up. He gets pretty high, but also gets a really good wide base. He loves to use a hezzy move and keep his hands ready to swipe or lift and be reactionary. And likes to dictate, you know, which direction the guard typically is going to set. And then he can just cross face really quickly. He does a good job um, giving himself a runway and then enough time to be able to move laterally quicker than a guard can and make sure that he's getting clipped on the shoulder pad by one hand. It's very rare. You will see him lose if a guard can get up into him quickly, quick set, you know, get him off the snap before he makes his decision, that's where he loses. So in terms of like functional strength and, um, you know, straight bull rush, I would say that's, that's not his strongest suit, but lateral quickness pursuit. Um, I think he's a good processor against the run. And a lot of times three, everybody's always like, can't stand up to double teams. Can't stand, if you look at a scouting report, apparently like no one can stand up to a double team. That's not just, you know, a nose tackle that is fat, um, that plays fat. So I don't know. Uh, I think he can do fine. Single blocks, fine. Three techs, you're not asked. You're not asking three techs to beat double teams all the time. They're going to lose them, um, but not his strongest suit there. But uh, probably the the highest immediate impact pass rusher in this class as a defensive lineman rushing the passer can probably move him around a lot. 
And again, that pursuit speed and ability to make himself small, like you said, is just really intriguing. So um, if you want to go get someone who can go be a, a zero one tech on third down, line up, beat single blocks against zone running teams, it, it's, you know, a, a, you could do a lot worse than Devontae Wyatt. So I think he's a first round player. Very, very impressive quickness. I think he has a, a pretty refined pass rushing strategy that's consistent. And that's what you see among successful pass rushers. They are repetitive. They have a go-to, a counter, and maybe a, a change-up. And they just hit that. It's not like most guys aren't doing a spin and then a long arm and then a swim and then a, you know, a, go, a ghost and under. You know, what it, It's like not like 15 different things in a game. They just keep chipping away and chipping away and figuring out the exact weak point and exposing it, using their change-up and, and having some counters when they stall. So Devontae Wyatt, uh, I think, is the best three-tag in this class, and I think Jordan Davis is the best nose in this class. So whichever you're looking for, the Georgia guys have you covered. Um, then from there, it gets a little murky. So there are three techs, there are noses, there are some tweeners. Um, the next couple guys, I'll, I'll kind of just rattle off. There's Travis Jones, who's a nose tackle from Connecticut that blew up the combine. There's Logan Hall, who is that tweener, a little bit similar to teammate Peyton Turner at Houston, who came out last year. The Saints ended up getting in the background of the first round, um, has played outside the tackle, played in the B gap, and a little tiny bit in the A gap as a sub rusher. Perrion Winfrey out of Oklahoma, who is in Mobile, super long, has some explosiveness, played all over A gap, B gap, um, probably more of a three tech, but but does have that. Fedarian Mathis out of Alabama, who aligned uh, as a three tech quite a bit. You know, again, mainly as a three tech, but did take snaps as a nose, did take snaps as a four four eye um, over the tackle as well. So that's kind of this this second tier. And I'll throw in even Neil Farrell Jr. from LSU. Um, is another one and another nose. So a lot of noses that are pretty highly regarded. It feels like Travis Jones, Fedarian Mathis, Neil Farrell, um, all guys, John Ridgeway, another one that's even on the later tiers, more of a kind of a true run stuffer, so to speak. So a lot of noses, but um, among this kind of second tier, we'll call it who stands out to you, Jake. Honestly, I haven't watched a ton of these guys and I'm curious to get your takes on them because I think what I wanted to do was focus more on some of the a little bit more out of the box options. So who who is kind of your favorite of these guys that you mentioned? I know you've mentioned Ridgeway a lot and Winfrey a lot. Those are two names that I at least remember from your your discussion so far. Yeah, um, Winfrey to me doesn't. He's very explosive. He needs a lot of understanding of how to process against the run but has get off, does have straight bull rush, can, you know, hunt guys down. You see pursuit speed. Um, so a very raw athlete, ultimately, that has won, has shown some really nice flashes at times, but I think is someone that still is, is really trying to uh, improve processing speed against the run is a little bit of a liability. Um, probably another three tech for the most part. And, and I think, you know, has traits, has tools, is a rotational type guy, um, insane, insane, insane length. Uh, I think he had like a six foot eight wingspan, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that department. Uh, I am failing to have it right in front of me. I have everyone else pulled up but him, of course. Yep, every single other person but him pulled up. But um, I feel like there's a lot of rawness there. He'll make some plays and, and is going to be like a rotational kind of three, four, five sack guy um, as after he develops a little bit here is his page finally. So 35 and a quarter inch arms. He's a wingspan of seven feet and almost one inch. 
Uh, ran a four, eight, nine, 40, six, three and a half, two ninety, ten 10 inch paws. Uh, definitely think he can win off the snap and is a penetrator that can knife between a block and beat someone to their spot. If you're lazy out of your, out, in your first two steps as a blocker, um, really strong upper body, really like profound considering how long he is. Again, he has a seven foot wingspan. Um, not just, it's very violent and it's very sudden. It's not very refined ultimately um, in terms of hand usage and, and consistency there um, trying to kind of like sneak his shoulder by a guy, but giving up his chest at the same time. So I feel like guys that are, are athletic enough and a little bit refined will be able to steer him. Um, I, I think he's someone that's going to take a lot of work, but has a lot of outstanding tools ultimately. So has some versatility comes out of the big 10. The length is insane. You see it in his tackle radius can really go chase a quarterback down from behind or running back down from behind and nip their nip their ankles, like shockingly from far away um, and and does rally to the ball in space. So I think you're getting someone who's going to hustle, going to fight wants to win with quickness, but there's just not enough refinement against competent NFL level offensive linemen off the bat to think he's going to be able to consistently win, but will flash like if you send him to rush the passer 30 times, he'll probably win one rep really clean out of control a little bit, super fast into the backfield running back has to stop their feet, go the other way or the quarterback has to like frantically try and get away or fall down. Um, so I think he's just kind of like that boomer bust right now um, as, as that kind of three tech. And then the other one that I think everybody's fallen in love with throughout this process and did nothing but help himself at the combines, Travis Jones, um, six, four, 325, 34 inch arms, six foot nine wingspan and ran under a five, ran a four, nine, two, three Cohen was a seven, three at three twenty five. Insane short shuttle was really good. Four, five, eight vertical 28 and a half inches is up there. I think that's like 85th percentile broad jumped over nine, two and is a rock in the run game, but just keeps working. I, I don't know that he's a sack guy. Uh, but he is going to have a good pass rush win rate. I think where he beats his blocker forces them into the backfield, gets into a quarterback's face, has length. Um, he just keeps refitting his hands over and over and over again, constantly working and working and working and, and trying to get up under into the right placement. And then he'll find your armpit and he's strong as hell and will lift you up out of there and he'll win eventually. Um, so I, I think he's a nose tackle that can rush the passer but did test really well, but you just don't see on tape. Maybe he's kind of reshaped his body through the off season for the combine and everything, but not a guy that looked comfortable stunting or slanting or pursuit speed, any of that. Um, so I think that's why there's a little drop off between him uh, and, you know, a Jordan Davis or some other guys, but I, I'm probably going to have a second round grade on Travis Jones and not, checks a lot of boxes. I think he's going to be a, a good starting nose tackle ultimately in the NFL um, I, I think he could potentially turn into a really because he is so great with his hands and he's so strong and does have the measurables and the athleticism. I think he's going to grow a lot and be a pretty, pretty stout interior presence that could be, you know, a potential kind of impact nose, a high end nose in the NFL, maybe like, a you know, a Dalvin Tomlinson or something like that. So um, or, or maybe a Duran Payne a little bit, but Payne's a little bit more athletic i think so those two guys i like a lot the other one neil farrell another nose tackle but at the same time it's kind of tough you know we're putting this through purple lenses for the baltimore beatdown big board and they did already take michael pierce and neil farrell is a guy that 
at LSU at the senior bowl, just looks good against the run can make some plays overall, just as consistent. You think he's going to be able to keep growing played in that 2019 season for LSU. Um, he's been there a long time. He's been there since 2017. Um, so he had a graduate year at LSU and has played a lot, a lot of experience. I think he's solid against the run. I think you're going to be able to see him win as a, as a, a la Michael Pierce. I don't think that's a horrible comp for Neil Farrell, but had a nice time at the senior bowl. A uh, guy that I think will find his way into the NFL, will find his way into playing time ultimately and and make some hay there a little bit. So a couple guys that I liked a good bit. Yeah. So for me, for day two, I had some more, I think like tweener defensive end guys. And I mentioned Clemens and Thomas. And so Clemens is one of the Texas A&M guys there along with Leal who is just like an absolute freaking load. And like, he's not that big. I don't think I don't have his measurables in front of me because I don't have my freaking notes. Um, but he's not like super tall. He's just like super powerful, like on every single play. It's just hustle, hustle, hustle. But he has some moves. And ultimately, it's like the speed to power, I think is pretty impressive with a guy like him. I think he would be kind of like one of those smaller kind of um, uh, sort of perimeter type guys, as opposed to some of the bigger guys that we've been talking about. But he's one guy that I like. He has an incident, so who knows with that. But I do think he probably will go on day two based upon uh, what some of the smarter Mike people that I read. Yeah, I think he did. Um, I don't I don't remember exactly what it was. It was him and Thomas both did. And I, one of them was only like drug-related, so I'm not totally sure. And then I think the other one might have been D-word. But he li- him I liked a lot. Isaiah Thomas I liked. He was kind of interesting to me where he felt s- similar to how we're talking about like – Wyatt making himself small. It felt like Thomas played a little bit smaller than his frame is. I think he's like six, six. He's not like overly thick, but he's long, good, long arms, got creative hand usage. And uh, he was a guy who would kind of play inside the tackle shoulder a little bit and kind of, you know, push himself off against guards and kind of make himself small through there a little bit, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, doesn't really have a ton of moves and kind of lack sand in his pants in the run game, which is one thing I didn't love about Thomas, but one thing I really, really did like, um, I think it's the Iowa State game where it's the fourth quarter. He's been playing pretty much the entire game, and it was a long one, and he makes two massive plays in a row. I think he had like a strip sack, and then a uh, he used his kind of length to make a huge kind of TFL that was critical for their chances. I don't know if they, I don't think they wound up winning that game, but that, I just found that really impressive. I like when guys are kind of playing through the whistle, especially along the D-line where you get worn down so much. Um, so he's, he's another guy that I like that I think will probably go day two depending on how things off the field check out. And then it's, yeah, it's DeMarvin Leal. I mean, he's kind of weird to me. He's like maybe a tweener edge type potentially. Um, And I don't know. He's just like a guy who, like I mentioned, might be a little bit of a post-hype sleeper at this point because he came in through this class as maybe people potentially thinking of him as a top guy. And he just, he didn't flash enough. It just, he just kind of feels like a player out there who's going to be a player in the NFL and like a decent one, but not make a ton of plays necessarily. And I think really where the concern comes down to is I think I watched a 2020 Alabama game and a 2021 Alabama game, then maybe like one other game. And he just, he just gets like blanked by Evan Neal a couple times, but I don't know, man, he's, he's a presence enough in the run game. And I think he has enough power to make his way through some of the, probably the weaker tackles in the NFL eventually to the point where he'll be a rotational player, but not necessarily a star. But I think with his traits, he could be a day two guy as well. Yeah, didn't have a great combine, which won't help him. But DeMarvin Leal, to me, has put everything on tape that you want to see. But it takes, it's like you see one per game. And it's like the world's greatest rep. Where like in that 2020 Alabama game, 
He is playing on the outside, playing the edge. He's in a three-point stance. He has contained. Evan Neal tries to jump right on him and takes a nice square path, maybe not super aggressive, but um, and he just push-pull, rips him right on his face, resets, and then launches down the line and takes out Najee Harris. Then you'll see, you know, Mississippi State game. He'll have a beautiful hezzy where he's working and then just wicked spins and completely makes like, you know, a tackle whiff. And then another game you'll see him, um, you, you, you end up seeing everything you'll see. He has, he's a, such a finesse player and you, you just long for physicality so much and he'll give it to you in like one rep here and there. And, and it's just weird. Texas A&M prospects from defensive prospects are very strange to me. Um, a lot of them very high recruits feels like they don't get polished enough while they're there. Um, and, and there's not enough of a plan, but over the course of watching enough of his tape, you see him do everything. You see him close the line as a run defender really well. Um, and again, didn't test very well, but just has this really nice hezzy to him and, and you know, has some arm overs and some different things. So you see all of these beautifully executed well-timed things and he does get knocked so often every single scouting report not physical enough not physical enough not physical enough and i agree there but the interesting part to me is that he's always under control yeah he's not on the ground very much at all never and and he'll get locked up a lot and he'll lose a lot but if someone oversets he's always under control and can immediately spring laterally to the side and and make them whiff so um really difficult if you're getting him with a fourth round pick. I think you feel incredible. If you're getting him with a third round pick, I think you feel pretty good as someone that has shown you everything over time and had production, had a bad day at the combine, but um, you know, all of those things, a, a lot of questions, you know, I would love to know what scouts get when they meet with him and what they've heard in terms of what he does on the practice field, all of that fun stuff. I read a lot of good things in that regard to be fair to him like zero line and like all those guys are saying like really high character guy. And like, that's maybe where I'm coming down with like, he's going to play on Sundays. It's just a question of what the ceiling is, I think. Right. And, and just having that kind of tweener, it's always tough with the tweeners and especially one that doesn't test really well. Cause it, he was someone that everyone was expecting. All right. You know, there's a lot of question marks. He can go blow up the combine and test really well from an, for an interior defensive lineman and maybe okay for an edge. And you're like, all right, that makes sense. And, and just didn't. So yeah, left- people always say that as if it's a given. And then like, when you don't, you're kind of like, ah, fuck, like, how do we project this? Definitely. Um, so I don't know. Uh, weird player, weird player. I, I would say kind of reminds me a little bit of a Derek Barnett um, out of Tennessee coming out a few years ago, who ended up going really high. And another guy who didn't test very well. Uh, Barnett did have some heavier hands and play with some more physicality, but kind of like wants to be this finesse player without the the groundbreaking athleticism to do so, but picks his spots, plays under control. And if you come at him kind of in like autopilot, he and give him a runway, he will just move right around you and replace you. And all of a sudden you're past him, not knowing where he is, and he's making a tackle at the line of scrimmage. Um, so I, I think it's unlikely that he doesn't end up being a rotational player um, that can have some success. But like, I don't know. You've just seen it all. It's really perplexing. Even I'm thinking back like uh, UNC, Texas A&M, UNC, you see him align, I think at like a four or a five and just launch himself into a club and turn his body and then launch himself into Sam Howe. And, and you just see every single thing you want to see 
slowly. So the name of the game for a coaching staff is consistency, consistency, consistency. Um, I don't know. I, I think you're, he's a guy you can talk yourself into very much. So if you have room for that t- kind of tweener and you want someone that can move around a little bit and, and you say to your coaching staff, you know, can you get the consistency out of this guy? And they feel like, yeah, yeah, we can, we've seen it all. Um, but again, it's kind of, he doesn't have that consistent refined plan. You see everything, you see him do the spin, you see him do the club, you see him do everything, but what's your go-to, uh, what's your, what's your bread and butter that you're pushing to make sure a blocker is aware of and has to defend and how can you do the change up off of it? So a little bit of a Jack of all trades, master of none in that sense. Um, I'd say, but weird, weird player, hard to evaluate could see him. You know, I think there's a lot of people that expect him to be, you know, incredible pass rusher in the NFL. And I think most likely he's probably like ends up being a guy that gets some pressure, makes some nice plays for you, goes through his rookie contract, doesn't get re-signed, gets like paid a ton in the open market and has okay production again. Like I'm trying to think of a player like that. I don't know, but very strange. It's, I don't know, very tough evaluation and and someone I'll probably return to ultimately. Yeah. Uh, someone who had a disappointing senior bowl was Fedarian Mathis out of Alabama. Just didn't have a lot of wins. Maybe he's hurt a little bit, something of the sort, but um, you see him line up everywhere. Zero through five tech. He has really quick processing speed. He can take on double teams. Um, his eyes great, always in the right spot. Feels like he can anticipate what's coming. He's got length. He's a violent run defender. Um, he doesn't have the most shocking pop. So he tries to knife past a little bit and create penetration, like with his body more than his hands. Um, but can you know, hold up when he does do that strong trunk. Um, I don't know. I just thought, you know, you, we watched Christian Barmore come out of Bama, similar profile, similar player. It felt like on tape and ways you watch Barmore slip into the second round, go be a really productive pro. But then the senior bowl, he just wasn't explosive. Wasn't impressive. Kind of felt like a Jag, um, just a guy, a lot of reps there. So that was a little disheartening, but again, a guy can have a little bit of a hurt situation they're playing through, but um, I think he's going to be a starter. I think he's going to be someone who finds his way into at least heavy rotation very early and uh, an impressive player. I think Neil Farrell from LSU, another one. I will say one guy that and I've read some other scouting reports on my kind of late day three guy that I do really, really like. And he, he went to UCLA, so it's not like he's some hidden gem. But Atito Ogbana out of UCLA is a big, lean Angry, strong dude, 6'3, 324, 10-inch hands, six foot eleven wingspan. Some guys with crazy wingspans in this class. Um, he gets really high out of his stance. He is a really explosive snap anticipation shot. He was a shot putter, I think, in high school. So he's very he can coil and explode. He gets too high, but man, is he hard to get off of a track. He he rushes the passer and plays like someone who's 300 pounds, 295, but has like brute warthog strength where he is launching himself, his hands miss, and someone will get up into him. And maybe this is where in the NFL, you know, the margin for error is less, but they will get hands on him and it does nothing to his body. Um, Walked guys back in Mobile, easy. Just got his hands in and just moved them back over and over and over again. Um, I, I think he can get skinny a little bit too just moves better than his size. Um, so he's someone that I wouldn't be surprised turning into a, a, a pretty 
pretty high level kind of uh, active player that makes plays along a defensive front and becomes like a, you know, everybody on, if he's a, uh, let's say a cowboy, all the Cowboys fans know him and talk about him and love him. And he's not someone who's like widely celebrated in the NFL. Um, I think his cousin might play for the Cowboys, but I think uh, there is somebody with that last name. So that would be one heck of a coincidence. It's, it's somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but somebody sure they at least like are friends or something. It's Agbo. Oh wait, never mind. I don't know. But um, yeah, so he's someone I really, 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 really like that. Maybe the media is a little bit too low on, but um, I, I see him maybe going second, third, fourth round and turning in or not, excuse me, fourth, fifth, sixth round and being a surprisingly effective player. So excited to see where he lands, where he ends up and, and what he can do. Um, the only other guy to talk about is, is Logan Hall, who again, very similar to Peyton Turner, except I think he does play more inside loves to swim, plays really high tested really well uh, for defensive linemen just like plays super high for me and then goes to the swim so often. And I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like the swim doesn't translate in the NFL that well. When guys know that's your go-to, they just wait for your ribs to get exposed and hit them and to wash you out really, really often. But yeah, um, I think when every tackles hands are like the best that you've ever seen in college as in the NFL, as opposed to college, that might be where that gets washed out a little bit. Yeah. So, so that's something I feel like a, a guy who really, really loves the arm over. I don't, love just because it is going to be the move that exposes you the most. Um, nothing pisses me off more than someone who won't stop spinning, but second to that, I think swims are a little, something you want to have is that off speed stuff rather than your fastball. So he, he goes to that a lot, but knows how to keep working. He's long, he's tall and um, probably gives you that, that Calais Campbell type three tech through five tech. And he has a nice rip as a counter. So when he does get too tall, and you have your hands under, he does a great job shooting under it and giving himself his length um, to, to try and reach and grab a quarterback, make some nice plays as a processor against the run. Um, some people are really high on him. I know Derek Claus in a football outsiders and bleacher report, I think has a first round grade on him. That's, I think that's a little too rich for my blood, but um, another, another tweener type there. There's not too many of them this year. Um, the other one's Trayvon Walker bleacher report has him classified as defensive lineman. We talked about him last week, but yeah, we had him in age. Yeah. So um, interesting stuff, but ultimately I guess that's, uh, a lot of this class, John Ridgeway, I just will say, he just looks like he belongs in the NFL. He's like, I don't know, looks like, okay, this guy plays on a defensive line. Like he has like the body of a Derek Wolf, um, where it's great, like, oh, great name to John Ridgeway. That guy belongs on a defensive line somewhere. Exactly. Um, so I, I don't see him being a, a run or a, a third down guy at all ever really here and there can, you know, make a play, but High processor, long, strong, wrestling type. Um, going to be a good run defender, probably a rotational player at worst. And uh, can can get more into detail, but don't really feel like it, to be honest, on him. So I think with that, we've uh, we've touched a lot of the guys in this class. Two and, more for uh, me, actually. Two more for you. Go ahead, my friend. Little tweener action. And these I, I kind of liked the fact that I focused on these two guys as like day three, potentially even undrafted, um, because they, they're good foils for each other. Caleb Tremblay. Um, who was Juco, then USC for two years, then he finished at Tennessee. He's like 25 or 26 or is going to be as a rookie, which I think is kind of a, it's kind of funny. That might be a good investment um, for a late round guy because you kind of get, you know, you pretty much know what you're getting, but like he's 
I think he's like a six foot six, like big white dude who, like I said, he's bounced around a little bit, but super long, good change of direction. They dropped him into coverage a good bit at USC. I didn't really get like any of his Tennessee tape in the, uh, in our client that we use to, uh, to get this stuff that we will not be uh, revealing. But, um, yeah, he, he was kind of a fun watch, man. I I'd recommend checking at least one of his games out as just kind of a potential day three guy. Um, because like I said, long traits, not like super fast, but he's like way quicker than you would expect for his size. So he's sort of that tweener type and then a fun, uh, sort of a fun kind of option that I think you would enjoy who would trigger the fuck out of Voss if they spent a draft pick on is uh Kurt Hinnish from Notre Dame. Who's I think like six, six foot, maybe like well over 300 pounds. He's just like this, the typical like nose guard from Notre Dame. Just like he's, he's a Pittsburgh guy and like, he's a pretty effective run stuffer. Um, at least, you know, in college, obviously and for Notre Dame, he wore, like, he wore like a number in the forties too. Yeah, He was 41, I think. And yeah, he like, he showed a lot more penetration than I would have expected from his body type. Like, I think it was against Duke. He was in the backfield. Like, more than once within the first like couple couple plays of watching I was like dude this is like this is kind of a fun option like I'm keeping an eye on this guy if he doesn't you know catch on somewhere as a late draft pick they should look into signing him as a potential Brandon Williams replacement um, oh, it looks he looks like a fellow Irishman Mike Golick Jr. to me he does yeah he he's just got that he's a yinzer he's, his name's Kurt like this I don't know I used to, he would be that would be really fun if they could get a guy like that to kind of like get some reps in the, on the D line in the preseason and see what he can do. So there, there's sort of it was like a big, like character, like well-loved guy at Notre Dame that everybody knew. Yeah, exactly. And like, he was there for five years, right? Another older rookie he's going to be. So yeah, he's uh he's, those are two guys that I think like, if you kind of take a flyer on them um, for different reasons, I think you, you could be intrigued by their potential to maybe make the team. Very much. So breaking news, Kenny Pickett, uh, increased his hand size by one eighth of an inch at his pro day. So just, just stuck those fingers out just a little. Further. I saw him showing off the, uh, showing off the um, hands to uh, Scott Fitterer and Matt rule, which I mean, listen, if we're talking about quarterbacks improving their stock in front of the, you know, to teams in front of the Ravens, I'm all for that. So go ahead, Kenny, get that bread. Stretch, father, stretch my hands. Father, stretch Kenny's hands. Well said. Um, Hinnish, a fun one. Who was your other guy? You said, Caleb Tremblay, big James. Tremblay, 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 yeah. right. Um, definitely another another fun tweener there, day day three probably. Um, but ultimately, uh, a weird collection, but feels like there will be some impact players uh, from this defensive line class. Again, just so many nose tackles and a lot of fun ones, but weird ultimately. Nose tackles, very rare. Dexter Lawrence went in the first. Derek Brown went in the first. Dexter Lawrence is another one who's had a nice start to his career. Um, so a, a, a deep nose class. There's some weird three-tech options. A couple guys that uh, classifies both, but I think that about does it for uh, for the edge class, or, or excuse me, for the defensive line class. So obviously I think the first two guys we're going to put here are Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. Um, I think that goes without saying. I think we'll get some mixed reactions here. I'm excited to see. I, I think – Davis is probably a shoe in uh, to, to win. And uh, I don't think we announced the winners from last week's episode, which was what Jermaine I th- Johnson. I, I, I believe, unfortunately, I believe it was Ojabo and Jermaine Johnson. So we might have to, we might have to tinker there a little bit. We might have to intervene there um, because of the injury. And it is a tough one. Achilles is a tough one to swallow. Uh, yeah, I mean, honest to God, though, that might, uh, you know, that might open up some different options for them to go and get him on day two, maybe. So who knows? He he could still very much be in play. 
Titans will probably take him and rehab him as they do every single year. Caleb yeah, Ford. and then he'll he'll just come onto the field and be the next, you know, fucking Lawrence Taylor because that's what happened with Jeffrey Simmons. Exactly. So with this one, we'll go we'll go Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. Um, it's kind of tough. I feel like those guys are going to probably run away with it. I th- I know a lot of Ravens fans like Travis Jones, so we'll throw him on there as the third. And I I don't know where to go for the fourth. Neither do I. Like I said, I you know I watched some of the weirder options on day two, so it seems like you're you're more locked into the uh, the more kind of straight straight edge guys uh, as far as defensive line options for day two, which is kind of what we're looking at. And then we we've got all we've got the the pig pen on day three there, obviously. So I, whoever you're thinking, throw it out there, and I'll see what I think. I guess the one that would be best for poll purposes, I think there's two two schools thought here. It would I'm between Logan Hall and uh, Federian Mathis. One guy, Matthew Butler, we didn't talk about who I like, but whatever, we can skip one guy. Um, Federian Mathis is like, all right, he went to Bama. He's familiar. I like him. Logan Hall is going to be like, maybe I should Google him. Think about it. Where did, where did Hall go to school? Houston. Okay, so He's we've got we've got some SEC we've got some SEC bias going on right now. It's it's not that it's Devontae Wyatt or Jordan Davis's fault, but that's some real SEC supremacy there. So I'm thinking maybe we should uh, spread it out a little bit. That's just me. All right, and he's a he's a tweener a little bit, so that'll give a nose. It'll give two nose tackles in Jones and Davis, a three tech in Devontae Wyatt, and then a three kind of that that tweener three through five tech in Logan Hall there. Um, to vote for i guess we'll probably plant hall and jones as picks in the second round and i think wyatt and davis might win anyway but hey if you're feeling frisky go vote for a different one hey um, listen our uh, our primo positions cabal might see this on twitter and uh you know kind of go for that day two option so who knows exactly the the cabal is strong as always so i think that's a, a solid four there i think that's kind of the consensus top four um i think pf has it that way and i don't know what i think the draft network is somewhat similar uh overall there but that does it for this edition of the beatdown big board the defensive lineman definitely i think jordan davis is someone that uh will be strongly in play in the considerations of the baltimore ravens at 14 i know there's michael pierce there but again a guy that can jump 10 feet uh, 32 inches vertically running the four sevens and is 340 pounds. And you know, is a dominant run defender almost really, I'll go ahead and say this reminds me of Odafe away as a nose tackle. Yeah. Mm. He's got the incredible testing, the incredible measurements, and you know, you're getting an a plus run defender. Um, so the Ravens like that at edge and we know they love them. Some nose tackles positional value wise. I don't know. Michael Pierce is also there but probably can recoup after a year if you need to with him. Um, so interesting, interesting conversation. Again, I, I think Devontae Wyatt is a strong shot to turn out being a Pro Bowl player. So those two Georgia dogs are dogs indeed. Um, yeah, it looks like DeMarvin Leal is number 30 for the draft network. They they're they're still packing in strong. Again, I can I can see I can see he's got a he's he's there's a DeMarvin hive out there, that's for sure. Yep, um, for sure. Cam Thomas, another one you talked about a bit. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so weird class, fun class, and I think that does it. So you'll see, go vote on the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast Twitter for your favorite at uh, 14 or 45. We'll specify with a little parenthesis there. Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Logan Hall, or 
Travis Jones. So that does it for me. And we appreciate you guys tuning in. We're two episodes in now. What do we have next, Jake? Um, I don't, <laughs> again, I don't have uh, our schedule in front of me. I, I would if I had my computer operational, but um, I have it somewhere. I'm like 35 tabs deep. Don't I think it's, it might be corner or safety. I know I kind of wanted to stagger the, uh, the positions of need a little bit. So I think we did eggs, which was more of a need than defensive line a little bit. Uh, and then I, th- I think it's going to be one of the, one of the more flashier ones coming up. So certainly. So we'll be having a lot of fun, having some guests on soon, hopefully as well. So we appreciate you guys. And I think, uh, I think that does it for us. You can follow Jake at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. I'm at Ravens Four dummies. That's the number four. You can follow the show at uh, podcast Beatdown on Twitter. And that's all the stuff you've heard it a thousand times. Jake's better. I don't remember the other ones off the top of my head. I've heard it a thousand times, but that does it for us. We appreciate you guys. Make sure to go vote for your favorite defensive line prospect of those four or comment. If you want to, to say you guys are dummies, you should have put in Fedarian Mathis or Cameron Thomas or DeMarvin Leal or whomever. Um, but that does it for us. And we'll see you guys soon. See ya. Arrivederci. Switch it up on you guys. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.